Hello, everyone. Welcome to the VO School podcast, or is it? (laughs) I'll explain more. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a loyal supporter. I'm sorry I haven't put episodes out in a while, but we will be coming back relatively soon, actually. So thank you for listening. But in the meantime, I want to tell you about a new podcast that I've launched, and it's called Soundstage Insider. And I'm going to play the entirety of the first episode for you today so you can get a sense of what it is. Now, I've been working with Backstage, working on the In the Envelope podcast for many years, as some of you may be aware, producing that show. And we've talked to literally hundreds of film and television actors about the craft, about the art of acting in film and TV. And it's been fantastic, but I've wanted to delve a little deeper. As someone who used to watch a lot of the extra features on DVDs and things like that, I love hearing about how film and TV is made you know, the skilled artisans that bring that to life. So I started a podcast that focuses on that. And we as voice actors fall into that category, I feel. And so I've created Soundstage Insider to explore that. And it is part documentary, part interview. Each episode focuses on a different area. So it could be directors, cinematographers, costume designers, um, stunt performers, production designers, composers, writers, editors, you know, everything behind the scenes. And I've somehow got some amazing people on the podcast. We have talent from Shrinking, Avengers, Green Book, The Mandalorian, that amazing movie Prey that's on Hulu right now. You should definitely check that out if you haven't watched it. Oppenheimer and... (laughs) a whole bunch of other stuff and i'm super excited to share it with you this first episode features the sound team behind disney plus's star wars series Andor, margit pfeiffer and david accord and of course from a voiceover perspective a lot of what they say is relevant to us and it's just i think interesting right to learn what other people do in this industry so also we go into a little bit about how adr works and how loop groups work. If you're not sure what they are, you'll soon find out, and how they work at that top elite level, you know, on Star Wars. This is the only episode of this podcast that I'm going to release on this platform, on this feed, so you can listen to this episode here right now, but please do go ahead and subscribe to Soundstage Insider. It's on all the podcast platforms, and I'd love to connect with you there. Yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. Here it is, and... I'll stop talking until you hear me again in a few seconds. Bye-bye. Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. We delve deep into their stories, their struggles, and their triumphs. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. In today's episode, we delve into the captivating realm of post-production sound. We have two incredibly talented individuals joining us, Margit Pfeiffer and David Accord, who between them have worked on some of the most iconic films and television shows in history. This includes Star Wars, Avengers, Inglorious Bastards, Guardians of the Galaxy, Hunger Games, Star Trek, Batman. The list just goes on and on. 
and they're here today to share their insights with us. So, let's get started. Before we get to David and Margit, let's first understand what post-production sound is all about. In its simplest form, it's the process of enhancing and refining the audio elements in a film or television production after principal photography has been completed. It's the art of creating and manipulating sound to immerse the audience in the story and elevate the overall cinematic experience. The history of post-production sound is tightly interwoven with the evolution of the film industry itself. In the early days of silent films, musicians and orchestras played live during movie screenings to accompany the action on the screen. But with the introduction of synchronized sound in the late 1920s, the need for dedicated audio professionals emerged. First off, uh, actually, Margit, I'd like to go to you. I'd love to hear what it is that you do every day. <laughs> On your IMDb for Andor, which is what we're talking about today, you are listed as supervising sound editor. So what exactly is that role? So my role, we have two supervising sound editors on Andor, and I handle the dialogue, ADR, and loop group side of things. So I work with the actors, record their lines, I work with loop group and flesh out scenes with humans. I focus on the different types of languages in Andor. Um, I cut the dialogue, I clean up the production sound, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I do. Very cool. And what about you, David? You've got a couple of extra roles in, in addition to supervising sound editor. You're listed as re-recording mixer and sound designer. So what do those roles entail? Uh, so the sound designer part is just you're in charge of the sound effects in, 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 a, in a broad way. You create new sound effects or record sound effects. You're in charge of the, the shape of the sound effects track. Um, that's kind of your responsibility. You're supervising the sound effects. On the flip side of that, re-recording mixer, uh, it's, a, it's a different job altogether. Your job is to pull together um, all the like the dialogue stuff that um, Margit's cut together and the effects stuff that my effects team has cut together and the Foley stuff. And then uh, John Fickley will bring in uh, uh, Nick Bertel's score and it's, you got to kind of make sense of all of that and kind of um, make all of that listenable, basically, so it just doesn't play as a... A wash of sound, yeah. So going back to earlier in, in your career, how did you start out in this world? Obviously, you're working at a very elite level now. It's very exciting, the kind of work that you do. How did you get to this point? I know, David, you've worked on a lot of Star Wars and a whole bunch of other stuff in, in addition to that too. What was your first forays into this industry like? My my first, I guess, paying job uh, in, uh, in, in the film world was on... Uh, in production, I started out in production. I did production work uh, for seven years before I got into post. The first gig I got was actually in special effects, like practical effects, um, on Twelve Monkeys, yeah. Jerry Gilliam movie. Yeah, hmm. shot in Philadelphia and Baltimore, and that's where I was. I was living in that area at the time in Delaware. Yeah, I, I did production. I, I ended up meeting the post production mixer on that show on Twelve Monkeys, uh, Jay Mahar. And I uh, got to be friends with Jay, and uh, he ended up hiring me as his assistant for the next uh, few years. I guess probably three or four years later, uh, I moved to Los Angeles, and then was working with some different people there. Uh, I just kind of bounced around working in production for about seven years before I, I landed a job in 
and post at Skywalker. Uh, and the first gig I got at Skywalker was um, Attack of the Clones, was episode two. Wow. And um, working as an apprentice under Matthew Wood and Ben Burt. So it was like kind of striking, you know, gold right there for yeah. your first post-production sound for a guy that wants to become a, you know, a sound designer. You know, that was like, well, that's, you, you don't get any better than that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, the, yeah. Then, and then I've just kind of, um, yeah, worked with Matt, uh, what a whole bunch over the years on, on several star Wars projects and continue to, you know, uh, it's been, uh, I've been very lucky in that regard. Yeah. That's fantastic. What about you, Margit? Um, I started in Munich. I started as a, at a, uh, studio where there was a picture department and the sound department. And so I initially did a few shows on location as a picture assistant and also cutting dialogue and sound effects and learning to mix. And, um, and then that film I went to Scotland with on location, a picture assistant, and then did post on a first post sound on afterwards had a premiere in Los Angeles. And so I thought, well, this is obviously the place to be in Hollywood if you want to work in film. Uh, and I moved to the US, uh, was not an easy start initially, but I worked my way into, uh, you know, onto, I got onto shows at different studios. I had, um, worked at, uh, Sony and Disney and Warner Brothers and Sound Deluxe and then later Formosa Group and now it's Skywalker Sound. Um, so I've seen a lot of different places and different methods of how to do it. And for Andor, I actually worked in the UK uh, most of the time. And we worked over there at Delane Lee. We mixed and at Hireworks, we had, I was embedded with the editorial and VFX department and yeah. To construct immersive sound that brings distant worlds to life, much like a painter builds layers of colour on the canvas, David and Margit construct the sound piece by piece. It takes great skill to combine these layers in a way that is believable and impactful, heightening the emotion of the scene. And so, um, David, I'm interested in the, the, the order in which things are layered up. So. There's multiple layers in a session when you're, you know, creating these uh, episodes. There's sort of the environmental stuff, there's the dialogue, there's the sound effects. Yeah. Is there a consistent order in which you start working to layer these these episodes up? Or is it just inspiration, whatever feels right at the moment? Generally, I guess broadly, uh, I would start with the dialogue. You know, that that's, that's the most important thing that you want to hear is the dialogue, of course. So you want to start with the dialogue. I mean, yeah. So it's uh, the goal when you're mixing is to tell the story, right? You want to make sure that the story comes across uh, in the mix as, as well as it does, in, you know, in the with the visual, the filmmaking. So you you want to make sure your dialogue is heard. Uh, the second thing you want to do is is the music. Uh, the music's there is sort of a it's a it's an emotional grounding tool. Um, for the audience. So uh, you want to make sure you're hitting all the right beats with the music, um, the, uh, that you're capturing the intent of the composer and the director for what they want to do with the music situationally. And then you'll go into um, effects and foley and, and work around you know, the, the music and dialogue. You, you, it's, that's the main, uh, I guess, sort of the moments where you have the most uh, handoff sort of decisions to make as far as what you're going to hear and, and when comes between when, when music and effects are uh, 
are, are both trying to accomplish the same thing. They're both trying to tell the story in their own way. It's like you've right. got two people in the room trying to talk over each other, but they're kind of saying the same thing in, in a different way. Um, and so you you kind of have to kind of push one to the side a little bit right. and favor one over the other. And then, you know, if there's a moment where, you know, you like what this person's saying, you want to hear them, or we're going to push you away and listen to this other person talk for a little while. It, it's sort of that conversation has to sort of be developed um, in, in the mix um, so that you're we're telling the story um, in an interesting way, hopefully, um, and uh, uh, that we're not uh, having everybody sort of talk over each other, you know, if that metaphor makes sense. Yeah. And presumably in that process of discovery of putting everything together and it finding its place, are there times when you realize you're missing something and you have to go back and create something from scratch or maybe do more Foley or do more loop group sure. stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when editors are, are, are cutting, uh, cutting dialogue or cutting Foley or cutting effects or when even when I'm making sound design piece, you, you have like a sort of a vision of what this is going to sound like, you know, in your, in your head when you're working on it. And then when everything kind of comes together, it's not uncommon that, that your vision will, will, will kind of uh, evaporate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when you see, yeah. when you see it all come together, it's like, oh yeah, that's not quite what I imagined that was going to, was going to be. Um, or, you know, sometimes an editor just has a different idea of what the scene is going to sound like, or the picture editor or the director, or even me, you know, there's different people have different ideas. It's, there's no right or wrong as far as, you know, this is a music moment or this is an effects moment, or, you know, this is, you know, we don't, we don't care about the dialogue in this scene. Oh, we, we totally care about the dialogue in this scene. It, there's, there's so many different ways you, you can approach it. The real trick is to, is to do it the way that Tony likes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, the real trick, I'd add one more thing, which I love having everything come together in the mix. It's the first time you hear it all together. You hope, yeah. you know, you obviously you addressed all the notes and then you have different characters in the room and the filmmakers. So you have the picture editor, a director, a producer, you know, a, the, a music editor and the sound editors and mixers. And it's wonderful to then see what plays the best uh, and also how to carve it out. What do you want attention to be, you know, what do you want the attention of the audience to focus on in that moment, yeah. but also how to not make it cluttered. Uh, and yeah. what should, you know, like, is there, is it an intimate dialogue moment? Yes, you want to feature that, but it's also fun to go into the sound effects or let the music swell. And it really, you know, you, how to make a build, an example uh, an example would be in episode 206, the big heist resolve and then the spaceship flying out, you know, like you want to build up to that. So sometimes you want to feature, uh, you want to be more quiet up front to let that really, to allow for room. It's almost like an, a, a composition to allow a uh, dynamic range to go to. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good point. You you got to have some place to go. You, if you start off at 10, you, I mean, you're not, I mean, there's no 11. Uh, so you, you just, you, you got to find a, a spot and, and, you know, and, and like, like you, like you mentioned, Margie, there, it's a dynamic sort of exercise too. It, it, it's not always just a straight linear line in a scene, like in a, that escape scene in 206, it's a bit of a roller coaster to, to get to that climactic point. So Margie, a big part of what you do is dialogue. That's your focus, right? Is that, that what you said? Yes. And David said that dialogue is king, really, a lot, a lot of the time in the mix. So, you know, <laughs> you're pretty important. That. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But uh, <laughs> Can we get you a T-shirt with that on it? <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> no, no, no. I always feel like, you know, in 
I feel like everybody who goes into sound for movies really wants to go into sound design, which I initially did want as well. I mean, this is why you build and play and you create. And I think it's exciting to give life and sound to things that have no sound in real life, like a spaceship or an alien. Or I mean, I consider it the more fun part of the job. Now, the dialogue <laughs> side of it, you know, I feel like it's more you're you're constantly busy um fixing things that are broken, you know, like you have every single angle, you have a different noise, you have a different background, you sometimes have an off mic situation or you have uh, crackles on your microphone or you can't understand it at all. Or, you know, it's some, I mean, you have a multitude of problems. So it's all about fixing it. Like my whole day and my, my cruise day is uh, all about ironing this out and to make it sound like it was all shot in a single take and it had always been perfect before. Now, I noticed um, when you with the different types of directors you work with, you know, if it's a writer director, you'll have a greater emphasis on the dialogue and the mix sometimes, I feel. I mean, they're very in tune with their words. They definitely want to hear everything. Um, and yes, you should hear everything. You want to understand the story and the, the story points, of course. But yeah, so, so I love doing dialogue. I think sound design is more fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just to sort of nerd out a little bit for a second, how how do you fix things? Is it getting in there with the little pencil thing in RX or whatever it is and taking out the, the sounds that shouldn't be there? And Oh, know, yes. Yeah. So initially, you know, we have uh, we have the tracks we get from the cutting room, which is often the mixed track that was, was recorded in production. And then my assistant will assemble, um, create an assembly that has all the different mics. You know, there are certain mix downs, then there's laugh mics and boom, uh, and then boom mics. The laughs would be on the individual actors. The booms would try to cover the overall of the scene. Sometimes you have a plant mic. Um, you always hope you have enough options and, you know, you always have something to cut to. And But even just like every single picture edit is a different sound cut as well. And so I try to balance out, obviously, primarily the focus is on keeping the voice and the lines, you know, as just and clean as you can. Sometimes a combination of a boom with a laugh works great. Sometimes only the boom or the laugh will work. And if neither works, I'll have to do ADR for the scene or for a, for a line. And to clean it out, yes, there's a multitude of tools. You mentioned um, Isotope RX, which is the main tool I use. There's a little, several others as well, but you'll, you know, I, I'm incredibly happy with RX. There's things fix, things are fixable now that you couldn't fix before. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of, very tedious little scrubbing. I mean, it's syllable by syllable, almost frame by frame. And, and, but you can fix the large majority of things. And, and in the end, in the final product, you, you know, you want the impression that the dialogue has always sounded great. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's space for AI to come in and help with some of that? tedious work or are you, is that too scary? <laughs> well, you know, I have been thinking about that. I've been wondering about it. I'm very fascinated by AI also for sound applications. I'm already, you know, I mean, ultimately it's all algorithms in a sense where Isotope already has algorithms to make it easier and then AI could it improve the process. Um, at this point in time, you know, I think I would be happy to work with AI if there's an opportunity to, to get great results. But I don't think it will replace us for a very long time because just the amount of decision making and the the problems you come across and how to fix them is not as simple. If you had, you know, 
I guess as we talked about a podcast audio track, you know, you want the ambience to be really quiet. You're sitting, we're sitting here in a single take. The microphones are stationary. So that is an easy thing to run through something. But when everything, when there's a thousand variables and they're all different from cut to cut to cut, from line to line or sentence to sentence, every time you see a picture edit, uh, it's a lot of trial and error. I, I'm curious what it will be able to do, but I don't think post-production sound or picture editing will be replaced anytime soon. Yeah. To make it about me for a second, <laughs> uh, as a voice actor, we're very scared of AI taking our jobs. Yeah. Um, but one thing that we're noticing and people are, who hire us have, have been, when they've been trying to get AI to work, is that it's very hard to direct AI and to ask <laughs> and to have it do what you want it to do. And especially with the, such a creative field that you guys are in, um, I should imagine that's that's always going to be a hurdle that's almost insurmountable for it. Well, the you know the focus on voice acting, obviously, but also like well, actors reenacting scenes they played or voice acting afterwards for group or anything specific um, you want to cover. There's so much nuance in a human voice. You know, there's intonation, mm. there's the projection, there's the performance. And I always say on an ADR stage, I can fix almost everything. I can fix, you know, sync. I can fix a little bit of a pattern of speech. I can fix the pitch. Um, I can fix, you know, any kind of noises. But what I cannot do is create the exact performance. And mm. even, you know, a lot of, let's say, that people who would like to be actors, it's even hard for a human to create the right emotion at the right time in the right form or match themselves. So I don't, yeah, I mean, you're, you're trying to have an algorithm do that for you, but how, how do you explain the nuance you feel? Yeah. It's not a line of code. Yeah, absolutely. David, do you have any thoughts on, on AI in this, in this space? I guess a similar sentiment. I think that it might be a useful tool to have in your toolkit. There might be something there. I haven't seen any purely ai sound design tools like like where you can just say you know, give me a spaceship or whatever yeah. you know and it's gonna <laughs> g generate maybe that's coming I, I don't know but i think it would be a similar problem uh of directability in a way of tu tuning something like that or, or making adjustments or when we get we have spotting sessions with directors and and what's where, where you watch the movie or you watch the, the the episodes and you point out things like that spaceship should sound like that that weapon should sound like this this creature sounds like that you know blah 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 and you have this sort of discussion about what sound effects should be like in in the project having that conversation with with ai you know i don't i just don't see that happening i, I don't see that you would have any um nuanced conversation about about sound effects i think it'd just no. be kind of perfunctory how having said that there probably are ai tools out there that might be useful you know there might be some cer certain things um where it can be sort of uh, assistive rather than a replaceive um sort of approach i think that that that's certainly possible yeah and you know it'd be kind of interesting honestly margit and david craft everything that you hear in the disney plus television series Andor. And there's no better example of the power and impact of their craft than in episode 6 of season 1, The Eye. Combining intense action, intimate dialogue, gunfights, spaceships, large crowds and even a meteor shower, this episode alone is a masterclass in post-production sound. Now, you may have heard the terms Foley and ADR before, possibly even loop groups, but I wanted to know exactly what these are and what this work entails. 
And you'd actually mentioned earlier that you work with the Foley artists and you do ADR and loop groups and things like that, right? There, Could you explain a little more about what those are? Because that's additional recording that is added on later in the process. Could you explain what those those things are? So ADR is automated dialogue replacement. Um, for example, when I get the production sound, you know, occasionally you'll have, you know, airplane noise or anything you can't necessarily remove or you have two actors talking on top of each other at the same time or you want to add things. And so uh, the actors come to the studio. Sometimes we do sessions remotely, but most of the time we prefer to do it in person at a studio and we have to we have them do their lines, you know, to match the performance and the, uh, the cadence and um, the projection, the intonation, basically get back into the emotion of the scene and deliver the same performance they did on set with possibly diff different lines. Mm. And uh, loop group would be we assemble a group of people. So if you s think of um, the prison scene in Andor or the crowd scenes on Ferrix, you know, anytime you see a lot of people, you want to have a a wall of bed where you have different kinds of, in this case, you know, on Ferrix, we had uh, different languages. We had Hatice as a uh, as an alien language, but we also had English. And um, and then when we're on Aldani, we had Chance in Aldani and we shot the kids in Canary as uh, as group, but also with the actors. And so we flesh out uh, the people. So you create a crowd, you shoot specifics. You know, if, see, if you see someone on screen or you need... Um, and say death grants or fight efforts, that's what I record with them. It's actually great fun. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued. How, how do you choose the talent to go into the Are they sort of regulars, people you work with on the regular? Not, not that I'm trying to get in on it. <laughs> it <is funny. laughs> well, uh, on, on Star Wars, there's a very wonderful um, uh, loop troupe, and it's run by Matt Wood. And so those are the people. Uh, in on season one, we had to do this remotely, which was an interesting setup. Each one in their home studio and having you know multiple people oh, perform wow. at the same time. The benefit of that was for editorial. It was fantastic because you had access to each individual performance, so you could use yeah. all the elements and mix and match. And you know you always struggle with the amount of people you get. You always wish you had a larger crowd, but you know so you can shuffle it around and make it you know appear bigger, which is what we do. So you back to doing it all in studio now? Probably so. So I'm I'm intrigued to hear what a typical day for you guys is like when working on a show like Andor. Um, is there a typical day? <laughs> if there is, what is a typical day? Uh, Margit, why don't you kick off? So a typical day, it really depends of the, you know, in, of the phase of the project we're in. Um, right now, I'm in editorial. So yeah, I get the tracks, I cut my way through, I'm queuing ADR, I'm looking what the loop groups group needs will be. I have cutting room requests to fulfill. I'm looking for any sound issues that might need more, you know, attention later on. And then there's different phases. So once I go to a mix stage, we do pre-mixes. I obviously try and have all the dialogue ADR and group ready and prepped for Dave to do the first initial pass on, still by himself in a pre-mix. And then when we go to the final mix stage, it's all about uh, interacting with the clients and seeing what their creative you know, vision is and choices that uh, I mean, choices will have to be made on the mix stage. 
And so depending on that, it's uh, or if I prepare for a day to go to ADR, I'll obviously make sure I have all my cues, last minute line changes. Are we doing it remotely? Are we doing it in person? Who's attending the session? Who's coming? Um, how do we manage the different uh, characters in the order they come in? What scenes are we doing? And then loop group is really fun because it's a more uh, a social event. You have a lot of people uh, obviously talking at the same time, which is part of the project. Um, but also it has, we often have great laughs and it, that's more closer to creating something from scratch. I feel, and I do that with loop group, but it's very, there's a very different setup for each day. And when they do the loop group recordings, do they have a screen where they're watching what's going on in the scene or are you just yes. explaining? Oh, okay. We basically, so I, I provide cues and we look at the scene and when then each person, you know, if we record specifics, each one picks a character they're going to cover or we built, put a bit down first, a wall a bit. So we cover the general tone of the scene. I like to shoot like little, you know, vignettes and pockets I can slide around and repurpose throughout. And, and it's all about not cluttering the overall soundtrack. So we're in a busy uh, for example, in episode 12, we're in the busy epic battle at the end. You don't want wall-to-wall -wall screaming. Right. So I think it's a waste of time to shoot it that way. And yeah. So it's just to focus on the things you need. You want to have a few of the important screams. You want to feel the pain. You want to have the death grunts. You want to have attack yells. Uh, you want to have a certain bed. And for the bed, I look for the energy in order that it has to, it has to either, either have an angry energy or hurt energy or it's whispers or you know whatever you're after whatever you're trying to feature in that moment but i always keep it short and sweet you know focus on it for a second and then let something else feature that in the soundtrack yeah what about you david uh, i presume it depends what hat you're wearing yeah yes yeah it would start off early in the project uh on the sound design phase which is coming up that probably we'll get into that um in a few months um, on Andor. And that's just a lot of dialogue with um, John Gilroy and Tony Gilroy about um, about the sound design, about what, you know, what is, what's this area like? What's the, what's the vibe here? What's the ship's deal? What's this droid all about? You know, what do these creatures do? And just sort of have that conversation about what, so we can kind of zero in on, on what, what they're after. Collaborate on, you know, on the sound design, basically nail some of those pieces down then the effects editors and fully editors will start fully walkers and then we get into the editorial phase kind of towards the tail end of my design phase and then i'll flip into mix mode and then then i'm pre-mixing i'm pre-mixing dialogue and adr and effects and fully spend a you know i guess about a week on that and then we'll go over uh i'll, I'll stack up a few of those episodes pre-mixed and then we'll go to delane lee in london and and final mix with the with the whole gang um, we'll do like three episodes at a time over there for like a month well actually moving on from that i did want to ask you about the uh the collaborative approach when it comes to sound design and when you're creating sounds for a, a new world a new spaceship a new gun whatever it is how much are you in dialogue with like the director and the, the production team or are you given quite free reign to kind of figure stuff out yourself and present a few options? It depends on the project and your relationship with the, um, with the director and the picture editors. If, if, if you've never worked with you know, a particular team before, there's going to be quite a bit of dialogue and quite a bit of back and forth, um, mainly for, I guess, for my benefit to, to learn somebody's aesthetics, their, their tastes and what their, where their mindset is at for, for sound effects. 
I've, if it's somebody new I'm working with, it might take a little a little while to kind of nail down like, okay, this is what they want, you know. Then that I can kind of put myself in that in that um, in that frame of mind and start creating. Somebody that I've worked with a bunch, like um, like Dave Filoni or somebody like that, he trusts me enough. We have a more of a shorthand. It's it's a lot easier to for me to generate sounds for him because I I already kind of know his tastes and he trusts me to kind of um, just kind of go for it and you know do whatever. And then you know then there's sort of a third thing where it's some 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 directors and picture editors really uh, just enjoy having options and it just becomes about like you know give me an A, B, and C and give me a D option that's totally off the wall. You know, there's some people just really like to have options in front of them. And it's, there's, you know, it's kind of, everybody's got their own method. I remember watching a, a video, I think it was Apple did it. It was about Skywalker Sound and it, it there was a, a section where they were going through the like Lucasfilm library of sounds and it looked okay. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Obviously you guys have access to that. It must be pretty fun to go through and, get these vintage original sounds from, I don't know, like modular synths or I don't know where they got all these sounds from or how they right. constructed them. But like, do you use those in constructing new or do you reference those? Like, so it's like a Bible? It's, it is. I mean, for, for Star Wars anyway, um, you, yeah. all, all of our legacy sound effects, um, all the legacy stuff created by Ben Burt, you know, starting in 1970, I guess five, he probably started recording and making sounds all the way up through um revenge of the sith all all of that's that's all great stuff you know and making modern star wars projects like something like like andor or mandalorian or, or whatever where we reference legacy assets you know like like tie fighters or x-wings or whatever take for example the the tie fighters and andor season one absolutely that's a ben burt sound it's it's the it's the classic tie scream but because the the rest of the show is you know has uh, a very definitive 21st century sound to it we want to elevate that 1975 sound effect to make it sound you know like it, it exists in a in a, a soundtrack that was made in 2022 you know so it's just me trying to be overly polite about <laughs> <laughs> using 60 year old recordings or 50 year old recordings it's it can be tricky um so we we want to play with that a little bit we want to like give it a little more edge or you know i might in some cases kind of like deconstruct that sound effect and and you know go back to the, like the elephant scream sound and like try some new things with that you know but it's all then sound it's all that original sound and then i kind of modify it um for, for legacy assets and that's not to say there's not new stuff there's loads of new stuff in the in the Star Wars universe that we uh, we have to generate from scratch. Very cool, Margit. Do you get your hands on all those vintage sounds? Can you play with those too as part of your your position? I assume I could. I don't really have to in terms of you know covering the dialogue track and all yeah. that. And then the only thing you would want to consider you know the overall Star Wars you know grittiness and all that, and then how to you know what the aliens sound like. But this is also something that Dave handles. Um, and how the voices are processed, so it all fits into the overall um, sonic soundscape. So, actually, is the processing done after you've worked on the dialogue, and then for the alien sounds, or like some guy's in his helmet, or whatever? 
Yeah, so I tend to clean up, you know, whatever we get with production, I will try to preserve, including some production effects. And then it depends, you know, for B2, there was a, a debate and you, you would always investigate this automatically. You know, you'd have, you, you do a voice casting, seeing who will be the final voice for that machine in this case, and then you'll record it and then you'll process it. In B2 in Andor, uh, our puppeteer, Dave Chapman, did such a wonderful and em emotional performance on set that there was a long debate back and forth. But initially, when we finally, we kept him. He was too perfect to replace. Yeah. We wanted that humanity for the droid. Film and television production is very much a team sport. And as such, doing your job well helps other people on the team to do their jobs well. So I asked David and Margit what they wished other people in the production chain knew about what they do. That's a Margit question for sure. Okay, yeah, let's go to Margit for this one. <laughs> I definitely have an right. opinion. Yeah, I'm sure that, I'm yeah. sure you do. What are your thoughts on that? I do have a, I do have a strong opinion on that. And I always feel like, you know, sound is a little bit of the stepchild on a big movie set, uh, understandably. I mean, there's so much going on. And um, but I always think it's the, uh, you know, first of all, you should always hire a fantastic production sound mixer. They're worth their money uh, like 10 times over. If you if you walk away with a terrible production soundtrack, just the costs of ADR stages, bringing everybody in the time and labor and the editorial and the mixed time spent on it. So you always want to make sure you have a great production sound mixer. And then on set, you know, there will always be all kinds of noises and things to deal with. So that's normal. But um, if the production sound mixer has a great relationship with the rest of the crew and is being heard, you know, when he says, oh, you know, could we just come a little closer with the microphone here or there? Some sets are very, some filmmakers are very open to that and respectful of sound. Some are not always. Um, and so you can hear that in the track. I hear it, you know, it gets into my hands and I can tell. Again, Danny Hambrook on Andor, uh, I'm a great fan of his. I am, as I'm cutting my way through, there's a boom or two or a live or a, a lav mic. There are so costumes, like the different types of fabrics often also generate their own noise. Um, but in this case, you know, there was a scene with Cassian and he put two laugh mics on a noisy outfit and I always had something to cut to. So I can, for Dave and the mix, I can present him a boom and in combination with a laugh, which has the best sound if you match them and if you phase them correctly. And so I'm really happy. That's all I... That's all I ask, you know, to always have something I can cut to and as cleanly recorded as possible. And some things are completely out of their control. You're shooting in a, a rain scene. Of course, you're not going to get crisp and clean dialogue. I mean, you know, some of these things you just have to fix in post. Yeah, yeah. and then someone's, like, cell phone goes off or <laughs> something happens. <laughs> Hardly ever, but you'll have a period piece when you have airplanes flying, right. and, you know, or... Or different props, or like we even on Andor, we had, um, you know, Ferrix, there's a gravel floor. So I, of mm. course, hear the crunch in my track on the town plaza. And so, I mean, it's things like that. You can't, you know, it's inevitable. You're, you're going to run into some of these things and you just have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is okay. Totally fine. Keeps us busy. And presumably, uh, the less ADR the actors have to do, the better for their perspective and everyone's. Uh, much better. And I've worked with several filmmakers, including um, Quentin Tarantino and Tony Gilroy, who really do not want to do ADR. I mean, it's always, I always feel it's the writer directors who are very in tune with their dialogue and the performances and, and they love the way this 
has been performed on set. They don't want to redo it. And I'm also completely in favor of that. So the big goal is to try and fix everything. I mean, a line change or a newly added line or, you know, something like that. Yes, you have to go in and shoot, but the rest should be preserved as much as possible. As we're wrapping up here, I'd, I'd love to get your opinions on your favorite part of your job and possibly your least favorite part of your job as well, because that's sometimes more interesting. <laughs> but uh, David, you want to kick off with that? Uh, I mean, it's, I think the design phase, I think all that trial and error is probably my favorite part. It's, um, yeah, it ends up being um, uh, like, a, like a learning exercise for me anyway. I, I learn something new every time I get into that design phase and start playing around. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a discovery for the show, it's also discover personal discovery for me. I always find some new way of doing something or some new tool or, or, or whatever. And even if it's not even for the show you're working on, you're like, oh yeah, that's going to be cool for you know so this whatever down the road, and I'll make a note of that and stash it or whatever, and probably forget about it. Um, but then uh, the, the least favorite part, uh, boy. I don't know. Putting you on the spot a bit here. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that one. That one's a bit on the spot. Um, <laughs> matching ADR. How about that? That's my least favorite. Okay, part. not fun. That's <laughs> that's very very difficult. Is getting ADR to match production, uh, and that's probably my least favorite um, thing to do. Uh, are there actors that are particularly good and particularly not good at doing that kind of thing? Does it really depend on the actor, really? With yes, the um, there's a difference. I mean, again, it goes into obviously want to make sure that uh, in terms of the production sound, you know, you match the sound quality. I mean, you want to match the the tone of it all, but then also the performance. And the real tricky position here is if you know, let's say it's a very emotional scene that's being played for the actor to go back into that moment sometimes a year after they wrap the yeah. film shoot you know they performed the scene for maybe a day in their life and they have to go back into it in a studio and and find right into it in front of a microphone without anyone to play against um, so i find if it's not a close very very close performance match you will always you know notice that it's adr Again, sync and, and and cadence and a lot of these things are very fixable. And obviously, the, the the sound quality of the recording. That's why we shoot in a studio with all the gear and and all that in the engineer. But if the performance doesn't match, it becomes really tricky. <laughs> yeah, to fix. Right. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is that your least favorite part of your job, or is there something else? Not at all. So, my part of my job, actually, that part I, is one of the things I like the best. So, I really like uh, working with the actors on the stage to 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 guide. Everybody has a different way of guiding them, and so I found on Andor with uh, Diego, for example, and doing ADR. It was fascinating to see, you know, like all initially the Tony Gilroy, the showrunner writer, director, and uh, Will, and producer, will give instructions as a writer, director, how he envisioned the scene, what is the purpose of the scene, what is the function of that character in that scene, and how he, he guides them to that performance, as he would on set with, you know, recording it for the first time. A uh, picture editor on the ADR stage will have the overall function of the performance. You know, how do how do the elements work together in the scene? What should it sound like? What is it for? And then Diego's approach is obviously, you know, he his how does an actor find into the character? So it's fascinating for me to listen to him 
find his way into this particular character. Mm. And I will only, you know, I, so Dave will work on all of this and then I will only say, you know, certain things if, if we need to modify something that sounds specific. Um, but I find it fascinating, the different approaches, um, how it all comes together and how much work goes into it to make it sound so as if it never happened. So if post-production sound has sparked your interest, how would you break in? Here's David and Margit's advice to newcomers. There's really kind of no right or wrong way to, to kind of break into the any any part of the film industry, really. I don't I, I can't speak for all areas, but I, I've worked with so many different people that have come into the film industry from so many different angles. And I, I don't know that anyone is better than the other. Film school seems to be a very direct route um, because you you end up just by virtue of going to school with other people that are going to do the same thing you're going to do they're they're going to be your colleagues you know right off the bat and so you have like a built-in network immediately um if you're coming from you know a non-film school route or coming from the outside in some way it's it's definitely more difficult because again it's all about that network it's all about knowing this person needs you know you know x y and z you know type people to work on this job or whatever and, and just getting your name out there, getting your, you know, um, letting people know that, you know, you have this skill set and you can do whatever that's, it's great if you have all those skills, but if you don't have a network to sort of share that with, then it's, you're just, you know, you're in a void. And, and so you have to, you got to get to know people in in the industry, um, in, in some way, uh, to, to break in. That's sort of, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a horrible answer when you say it out loud, but it's, it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Margit, you you weren't from this country, a bit like me. <laughs> you came over, <laughs> and uh, so how did you break in? You know, I studied audio engineering in Munich at the time, and I did an internship at a studio at a company that built studios all around Germany and and all around Europe. And during my internship, I was asked to translate the back then version D24 uh, Pro Tools manual into German. And I added half of the translation was extra workflows. So by wow. the time, and it was right at the start of Pro Tools, um, you know, being more more common within the industry. Yeah. So when I moved to the US and I knocked on different, you know, music studios and then post houses and so the first question was, well, do you know Pro Tools? Uh, yeah, I really do. <laughs> I wrote the book on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote the entire book. They tested me with it in Naughty Engineering College. And the book had my name in it. They're like, should we even ask you a question? Feel free to ask. But so I would really advise people to, you know, find, um, specialize in certain things. I think but when we're talking about AI or if you want to work in sound or in film and film editing, you have to know Pro Tools. You should be totally familiar with all the typical, you know, plugins and workflows or, you know, the, the Avid for picture editing, if you want to be on big feature films. So have your technical skills, you know, developed. And then I think it is now probably a little easier to get your foot in the door because you have a, a, an easier way of networking. You know, you can find people online. You can find, you know, what studio does somebody work for and then cold call or a cold email and I would start with something as simple as, and that, that worked really well for me mm. and I would start with something simple as asking you know just for a little bit of advice or time you know if you just burst through the door saying hey I'm ready I'm gonna you know take your job and I'll do it perfectly 
Well, you should introduce yourself first and be be visible, you know, like if you have a coffee with someone and then the next time an opening comes up, well, who will they think of the person they've already interacted with? And I also think it's uh, really important within the business to provide training. I, you know, I feel those opportunities seem to become less, you know, you have much smaller crews, much less time on shows uh, and yeah. But it's easier to to find out who works on what. To, to build on what Margie's saying about the the you know it's easier to contact people. It's also easier these days to the tools are more accessible now these days than they were you know twenty twenty five thirty years ago. The tools are, are much more um, readily available. I mean, when I started out, Pro Tools was sort of uh, financially uh, prohibitively expensive for me to have something at my house for that. You know, let alone 30 years ago, you, nobody, you know, it was just like dubbing machines. Nobody had that at their home. These days, it's like the, the tools are, you could, there's an iPad app that's like, you know, $15 that you could be least if you wanted to start learning uh, some rudimentary mixing things. There's all, all sorts of ways you could, you could do that now that uh, to, to, get, to get started on that. And actually, Pro Tools, the free subscription model one now, is actually pretty good. Like, is it? I know they had a free one a while ago, but it's actually yeah. pretty, like, it's usable. Like, it's worth worth having. Yeah. Um, thank you both of you so much for being so open about what you do and sharing your knowledge, your extensive knowledge. Um, I think it's going to be very helpful to our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're most welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So there we are. That's our episode on post-production sound. Be sure to check out the Disney Plus series Andor, where you'll hear Margit and David's audio skills on full display. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the world of post-production sound. And if you'd like to learn more about Margit and David's work on Andor, be sure to check out the show notes for additional resources. Thanks so much for joining us on the Soundstage Insider podcast. This episode was presented and produced by Jamie Muffet. Special thanks to Margit Pfeiffer and David Accord. And be sure to check out our sister podcast, In the Envelope, from Backstage, which features intimate, in-depth conversations with today's most noteworthy film, television, and theatre actors and creators. We'll see you next time.